Just like that, the second hour is here. Hot mic rolls on. Outkick Network, Outkick.com, and this great radio partner, Buddy Withrow here. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Ehop Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Clay Travis will be with us in 15 minutes. Nate Bargatze, comedian, Nashvilleian, and now selling out arenas. Yeah. Uh, he'll join us in studio. That's coming up in hour number three in about an hour and 15 minutes from right now. The Arizona Cardinals, for a while, have been dysfunctional. I think the franchise as a whole, the Cardinals franchise, has nine playoff appearances since like 1940-something. I mean, it's it's been remarkable how... I mean, you have to try hard to miss the playoffs at that rate. And even when they've been in the postseason, for the most part, they don't make deep runs except for the Super Bowl run coached by Ken Wisenhunt, who, for whatever reason... Uh, was good that year as a head coach. They are We've mostly since then. mostly inept is the way to describe that franchise. No mostly. doubts. No doubts. Uh, and article now through Armando Salguero at Outkick, the NFL's most troubled franchise, the Arizona Cardinals. And he's going through how it's not even really close. And when you actually look behind the curtain and know that even moving forward, uh, despite every troubled thing since this offseason, they now have Monty Ossenfort, and they've paired him with Jonathan Gannon, who was hired as the defensive coordinator for Philadelphia. He's now the new head coach that ended in the Super Bowl there, and we know what happened in that matchup. But, Chad, it's it, the future doesn't look great. They're tied into the contract for Kyler Murray, and they have an owner with the last name of Bidwell, who that ownership group and that family, and Michael inherited it, from his father is notoriously cheap. And it's such a nice place to live and you're surrounded by such money in that region that it seems like an attractive spot, you know, for an NFL franchise to thrive. And because of poor ownership with the Bidwell family, they never really have. It's remarkable. And even when they get the number one pick and they draft their franchise quarterback and they think, you know, now now's the time we're going to have the guy. It's, it's, even that is rocky with Kyler Murray, with all the offseason stories and everything else. Um, it's a bad franchise, but it's also a franchise that because they're not moving from Kyler Murray at quarterback, they need to trade that number three pick and get more in return because there is a quarterback needy team that will be willing to give up a good amount no to doubt. trade up and get their guy. Yeah. So now's the time to trade back for the Cardinals. Yes, and they have a chance to load up on picks uh, while also facing – uh, a claim against the owner, Michael Bidwell, from uh, a former uh, director of personnel, Terry Donahoe, who is pointing to a burner phone that, this is through The Athletic, a spy drama portrait of the Cardinals that includes Bidwell ordering McDonough and then coach Steve Wilkes to use a burner phone to contact Steve Kahn, who was the general manager at the time, and he was serving a five-week suspension because of a DUI. Now, keep in mind, during this, you can't have contact with the organization. So in order that, so they could actually contact the general manager and know, okay, here's what we want to do with the roster. We're, we're hurt at running back. Which way should we look? All this. They, the claim is, the allegation is they used a burner phone and were told they had to do it. Well, that's in direct violation of league rules and policy, and we'll see what comes of this. Steve Kahn, by the way, uh, left the team at the end of last year for health reasons, a 
I think it stems from issues he's had in the past, and they've since replaced him with Monty Osenfort through New England and most recently with the Tennessee Titans. And you don't break the rules and get burner phones to get the advice of Steve Kahn, with all due respect to Steve Kahn. Well, he's the, he was the GM, though, at the time. Yes. But again, he's not the GM that you're breaking rules to try to get the advice from. When Sean Payton is suspended, you want to get a burner phone and get advice from Sean Payton on the team years ago. I'm just saying Steve Keim is not the most talented of GMs in the National Football League that I've got to get his sage wisdom yeah. on every roster move made well, during that suspension. Bidwell hired him, and he's telling others that he's hired to go to the general manager who I love. Well, and this goes back to our initial point. Yeah. It's an inept franchise that hires people who aren't great and then circumvents the rules when that person gets suspended to get advice from that person who's not great and not the type of person that you want to go around the rules with to get their advice. Well, they are in a great spot, though, and, and they have a chance to load up on the future of their organization by trading out of the third overall pick, and that's really where the draft starts based on the consensus of those believing that C.J. Stroud's going number one to Carolina, followed by Bryce Young to Houston. After that, it's take your best defensive player available, or trade out of the third pick if you're Arizona and allow another team to move ahead of Indianapolis to draft the quarterback. That could be Richardson or Levis with the third overall pick, or it could be C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young. I mean, we should also mention them in this. But you know why Carolina wanted number one. They trade with Chicago. They have their pick. They know they're going they, to get their guy. You, think, you would think they knew it then, but if not, they knew – we definitely want one of these two guys, I, and they'll figure it out after they get it. Arizona should not trade this selection until draft night. You can work out the parameters of what it might be, and there are teams that are calling them, discussing what it would take to get up to number three. I mean, if you just go by what the 49ers did when they traded up with Miami to the third overall pick to get Trey Lance, they gave up, they swapped first-round picks, and they gave up the following year's first-round pick to go get Trey Lance, who was not the, at the top of the board uh, for the, the quarterbacks in that draft. But in here, I don't know why you would trade up if you're a team going after Richardson or any of the other quarterbacks because you're not guaranteed to get that guy just based on who knows what Carolina and Houston do. You have to be ready for every scenario. And then if your player that you're in love with is there at three, you trade up or if you have C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young, who is available because they were passed over, well, then the price tag goes up. So Arizona controls as much of this offseason and draft capital as what Green Bay's trying to do by trading Aaron Rodgers, although it doesn't seem like they're going to get a first-round pick. For a team trading up in the draft with multiple bidders, this is where Arizona can actually start you know, an actual path towards a winning organization, a consistent organization, they need to get this right, and they need to hold out on trading the pick until draft night. It feels weird to say that acquiring the best defensive player in the draft, let's say the Cardinals draft Will Anderson, they stay put right. at number three. It feels weird to say that doing that feels like a loss for the Cardinals. But to me it does because the best outcome is them trading away on draft night out of that spot and getting more in return than just the best available defensive player in the draft. And if, if they end up with that, fine. You know, that I'm just saying of the two options, I think the, the other one's better to trade out, get more in return instead of staying put and drafting Will Anderson 
or whoever that may be. And I think Will Anderson's a terrific player. Yep. You're not a loser if you go get the best pass rusher in the draft or your best defensive option in that spot. But of the two options, I'd rather trade out of that spot and get more in return. And I know some of the scenarios have Indy moving up one spot from pick four to pick three. But again, wait until the draft because you have multiple teams trying to move up ahead of them, and that forces the price tag to go up. Would you draft? Where would you need to be to pull off a trade to move up for Richardson? Because it, it, if you're trying to move up from the bottom end of the first round, well, it, you're going to give up more than just one future first round pick. There'll be multiple selections. Maybe it's just one future first round. It'll be multiple selections. In some cases, we've seen uh, Justin Fields. He required two first round picks from the future to then apply to the trade to get that deal done for Chicago. Richardson, you know, the, someone asked me, is like, is he this year's version of Malik Willis? And the answer is no, because last year at this time, we're discussing all these different first round quarterbacks and where they would go and where they would be slotted. With Richardson, we know he's going to be drafted in the first round. The ceiling is so high with him. Meanwhile, Malik Willis and Matt Corral and Desmond Ritter, everyone passed on them until the third round. That's not happening this year with Richardson or with Levis, who are both going to be first-round picks. So to your first point, I think 11 is about the marker. I think where the Titans pick at 11. 11 to 15, not, somewhere It's in there. not going much past that for, uh, in terms of trading up to number three with the range where they could do it. You don't want to go too much deeper. I, don't, I think it would be too much to give up. And the Cardinals, I don't know they'd want to go that deep into the first round. Right. Also, um, Malik Willis is six feet tall, six one. Yeah. It's just not the same. I mean, I I think Anthony Richardson is very inconsistent. I have a lot of questions about him being a good NFL quarterback. I'm not in love with him as a franchise guy. But, I mean, we are talking just dudes from different planets in terms of athleticism. Anthony Richardson is enormous. He's a better runner. Uh, He's got a cannon for an arm. I mean, it's just a different level of athleticism. Not that Malik Willis isn't a good athlete, but no. There's no comparison to me between Richardson and Malik Willis looking last year's draft to this year's draft. And just something to consider if you're Arizona, you can trade back one spot and still get Anderson if the Colts are moving up to get a quarterback. So you can get multiple picks, maybe not a first rounder, who knows. And then you also get the Colts pick this year, which is four and you don't lose out on the best defensive player, and you gain picks moving forward, albeit maybe it's not the steep price that you'd be charging uh, if it were a team coming up from 15 to 3. Coming up, Clay Travis joins us. We'll dive into the Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark saga, and we'll also discuss NBA ratings versus NCAA tournament ratings. That's next on Hot Mike. Hot Mike rolls on across the Outkick Network, 6th and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine, and with Clay Travis, founder of Outkick, joins us live uh, via phone. Clay, good to have you on, and uh, we've been talking more about women's basketball this week than we have probably in the five to ten years combined, uh, more so than just naming the final score and the champion of the, of the bracket, but the Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese saga continues, and as you wrote at Outkick.com, that's not a bad thing for the sport. Controversy is the best sales pitch for any 
content company anywhere on the planet. Um, I've seen it in my own career. Uh, the rapidly what happens, and this is always kind of interesting to watch from a media perspective, is the conversation shifts from what do you think about X and Y, right? Uh, in this case, X would be Angel Reese, Y would be Caitlin Clark, and the way that their game ended, to if it's going to be a multi-day story, to not only what do you think about them, but what do you think about the reaction to them? Right. The way these things turn into multi-day stories is not just everybody continuing to react to what already has happened. It's reacting to the reaction. Can you believe that so-and-so said whatever they said in reaction to this story and it continues to grow and becomes a bigger and bigger story? And look, I think it's the best thing that's ever happened to women's athletics. I can't even remember uh, any story that has existed in women's college basketball that has taken multi-days. I mean, I don't think it's ever occurred that the women's title game was talked about more than the men's title game, right? I, I mean, more people watch the men, but more people have talked about what happened in uh, LSU and uh, Iowa than what happened in San Diego State and, um, and UConn, and I don't think it's been particularly close. And Clay, you can thank Angel Reese for keeping that story in the headlines and in the discussion right now because she goes and does an interview and the Michael Jordan level of saltiness from her is incredible. She refused to meet with Dr. Jill Biden, the first lady before the game, because she said that Joe Biden didn't pick LSU to get out of the Baton Rouge regional and she refused to meet with her for that reason. She does not accept her apology about saying that Iowa should also be invited to the White House, that she'll go visit the Obamas instead. Um, agree or disagree with Angel Reese, she certainly does know how to keep a story going. Yeah, I mean, do we think Joe Biden can barely walk up the stairs by himself? Do we think that he's a women's basketball savant when it came to <laughs> filling out a bracket? You know, like that he was breaking down the starting five of LSU and comparing them uh, to other teams in the region. Um, I don't know what Joe Biden's Final Four looked like in the women's college bracket, but I would be surprised if, like most sports fans in America, he can name more than five women's college women's basketball players in the country, right? <laughs> so, uh, but I do think it's funny that she's like, oh, he didn't even pick us in his bracket. Well, you know, so what? <laughs> yeah. Well, Clay, it, it, it might be the first time I've ever defended uh, Joe Biden, by the way. Yeah, it's also just amazing to me. I, I know we've had this conversation before. Like, if you get invited to the White House or you have a chance to meet a president or a first lady, like, you just do it. My default answer is always, yeah, just just say yes to that. But the amount of people who know, you know, that sort of disrespect that opportunity, especially over something as small as your husband didn't pick us to win the national title or to get out of our regional, seems pretty small to me. Uh, well, look, I mean, let, let's not pretend that 20-year-old college students necessarily have the broadest horizons on the planet, right? Um, you know, I was 20. I cared about beer and girls. Uh, when I was 20 in college. So, uh, you know, in sports probably, which maybe you can argue that I haven't really changed that much in 20 <laughs> years. But um, I, I think um, I, I think when you really kind of break it down, I've said this for a long time, if Joe Biden invited me to the White House, I would be there in a heartbeat, right? I, I, I mean, maybe it's old school. I didn't vote for him. But if he was like, hey, Clay, I think you have, you know, uh, your pulse on media in America, I'd love to ask your opinion on a variety of subjects. Uh, or just have you listen to me talk about any of my opinions on a variety of subjects. I'd be there in a heartbeat, right? I'd be on the next flight to D.C. 
So if I were on a sports team that was invited to the White House because we had achieved something of a championship level, I would go whether the president is Joe Biden, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, George W. Bush, Bill Clinton. I'd be there in a heartbeat. So I, I don't see how that's remotely controversial. Um, and uh, and I wouldn't turn down that opportunity. And by the way, I've got three kids. If they ever got invited because they did something, I would be disappointed if they said, oh, I'm not going to go because I don't agree with the, you know, I didn't vote for whoever was in the White House. I just, I, I don't see making a trip to the White House as an endorsement of everything the person in the White House does. Clay, how much trouble is the Big 12 in, given all the reports about their issues securing a media rights deal? Pac-12. Pac-12, sorry. Pac-12. Um, you know, I was talking to some people this morning. It seems like the Pac-12 is in a tough spot. And um, I think the bigger story here is that a lot of the streaming money has dried up, uh, by which I mean there were a lot of people out there who thought, oh, Amazon, Netflix, uh, the uh, Apples of the world are going to go all in on streaming costs. And the overall business imperatives shifted pretty rapidly from you need as many subscribers as possible, and it doesn't matter how much money is lost in the process, to uh, we need now to start to see a pathway to profitability. And a lot of these sporting events are difficult uh, to justify from a pure dollars and cents perspective. So um, I think that is what's going on. And I think the Pac-12, uh, what you're also going to see is, and I think this is true in kind of all facets of life at this moment, um, there is a huge demand for the absolute superstar. And if you're not a superstar, there's very little of a middle class, right? So if you are the SEC or you're the Big Ten, there's going to be a lot of bidders for you. If you are the Pac-12 or the Big 12, maybe even the ACC, you're kind of floundering a little bit in terms of trying to drive a massive amount of uh, interest in your product. Well, and I, I, I said Big 12 because I was thinking about the Big 12 in that if they go for the jugular here, Clay, and they decide we're going for the best of the Pac-12 because they are dying and everyone in that conference knows it and we can go secure some of those programs, is there a route to where the Big 12 could contend with the SEC and the Big 10 for one of the top dog conferences? I don't think so because the Big 10 already turned down expanding and adding Oregon and Washington, which I think are probably the two most valuable brands uh, that are still in the Pac-12. And then you'd probably say, uh, you know, depending on how you want to analyze it, is it Arizona? Is it Stanford? Is it Cal? How committed are Stanford and Cal to the future of, the, uh, uh, of football, which obviously has been a big driving force? Uh, but if the Big 12 is going to expand, I would say that uh, Oregon and Washington are clearly the next two teams up in terms of value. And those two schools desperately tried, along with many others, to get into the Pac-12, uh, sorry, to get into the Big Ten. And the Big Ten said, no, it isn't worth it. So, no, I, I don't think from a pure perspective of value uh, that those schools have it. Clay Travis with us. Clay, what, what did you make of the news that Endeavor and Ari Emanuel – they are going to have UFC with the offer merge with WWE, Vince McMahon selling 51% of the company as a merge to a new entertainment company worth over $20 billion combined. And what it signals for what, what the value is for what UFC has, has created 
in this sale where they sold for like, what, four or five years ago for $4 billion. Now they're valued at 12. Yeah, they've tripled it. I think it's a brilliant play um, for both the WWE and for the UFC. Uh, and I've been a longtime WWE shareholder, uh, but I imagine that I will own stock in the WWE and the UFC new organization as well. I don't think I'll sell, in other words. Um, and look, I mean, really from a business perspective, you know, you asked about the Pac-12 and everything else. What we're rapidly moving towards is an era where you need to own everything. Um, and the analogy I've always made is, you know, whatever you think about, let's say, uh, The Incredibles, right? And however many incredible movies they've made, it's probably a good chance that anybody listening or watching to us now, their kids will probably watch The Incredible movies, right? So Disney has created an unlocked value, and certainly the same thing is true for Spider-Man or, uh, or The Avengers or any of those. Those brands and products are going to create value for Disney for decades to come, for the rest of our lives. Um, I think that you need to own all of the content as opposed to doing what Disney does uh, with, let's say, uh, the SEC, for instance, and they're just going out and renting the games. Renting the games, you're a middleman. The business is nowhere near as good. So I want to own everything. I want to own the UFC. I want to own the WWE and all of the ways to make money off of those. Um, you know, that to me is the best play. Clay Travis joins us Wednesdays here on Hot Mike. Clay, thanks as always, man, and uh, we'll catch up soon. Appreciate y'all. Thanks a lot. Yep. Clay headed into a meeting of meeting importance. of the month, meeting of WWE shareholders, right. possibly. A meeting maybe of he's importance. The, maybe he's meeting with Vince. Endeavor will have six people on the board. By the way, the new company they don't, they haven't announced the name of it yet, but it'll be publicly traded as TKO on the exchange, um, and so. That company will have six members from Endeavor and then five members from currently WWE represented. I'm curious about the possibilities of content with both of them, not just crossover from WWE to UFC, but yeah. what original content they can create, whether it be docuseries, whether it be new characters in WWE that transforms into something else in the UFC space or vice versa with you know former UFC fighters moving over to WWE, there's a lot of potential with that. We talked yesterday about one of the bidders in this originally was Disney, which you look at what they have now, go to Disney Plus and look, you know, you've got Marvel, you've got Star Wars, you've got Pixar, you've got Disney, all under the same umbrella of content and what that could equate to with WWE as an example. Yeah. With different characters owned by Disney and all of the possibilities for crossover content within that, that would have been incredible. Now, we're getting into monopoly territory at some point, you know, if, if Disney starts buying up everything possible. But Clay's right in that you're going to be your most valuable and most profitable when you own whatever you have. And you can own as many possible things. And you can make money with that from now until eternity. This is why there's so many Star Wars movies and TV shows on Disney and Plus. And spinoffs. And spinoffs on, now you got to go to see the latest Marvel movie because the next Loki season is going to bridge the gap into the next movie that's then going to shift you back over to Disney Plus to watch the next series, and so on and so forth, and it's never going to end. There is a universe where that could happen with WWE and UFC if you get really creative now that they're together. And I wonder how many of the 
the UFC fighters can translate over, I think that's easier than having the WWE superstars translate to UFC. We've seen it. I mean, Brock Lesnar, Ronda Rousey went back and forth. Um, maybe more in the future based on that. And the super fights you can create with that. I don't think any of them, if you want to be a UFC fighter, you are a UFC fighter until you don't want to do that anymore. And then, then you go do WWE. I'm with you. It's not no WWE fighter. Well, I shouldn't say Bobby none. Lashley did it. Yeah, not none, but not many of them will want to do the reverse of that. But it does feel like because of their ability to self-promote in UFC, I mean, 70 to 80% of them could be viable WWE performers. Yeah. With the proper training, based on their skill set already, and then also their promotional ability on the mic, I think the number would be high. What's the price tag going to be for the Jets to trade for Aaron Rodgers? Well, I mean, the discussion has been about a first-round pick. The latest reports say that the Packers are backing off of that first-round demand this year, and first-round meaning the 13th overall selection, which is what the Jets currently hold. But if, for whatever reason... Things break down between the Jets and the Packers. Craig Carton on FS1 had a surprise team and a familiar team to Rodgers in the San Francisco 49ers. And Aaron Rodgers would absolutely want to play for this franchise. The franchise is the San Francisco 49ers. Oh, no. Okay, They have Trey Lance coming off a broken ankle. Uh They've got Brock Purdy, who's not going to be throwing the ball until August or September. And they signed Sam Darnold. They do not have a quarterback right now. Maybe Trey becomes a stud. We don't know. Aaron Rodgers is from the area, all right, and has always said, you know, I might want to go home one day. Now, he famously also said, I want to screw it to San Francisco for not drafting me. Right. Well, he's already done that, okay? So here's the reality. San Francisco does not have a first-round draft pick in this draft. They gave them all away to get Trey Lance. They do, however, because of compensatory picks, have like five third-round picks. So the conversation has been multiple third-round picks in this draft and a first-round draft pick in next year's draft. If this happens, the New York Jets no longer exist as a franchise. Yes, that yes. is 100%, 100% true. And you think about, I mean, you think about San Francisco oh and, and legitimately, like, they Brock, become the hey, team to be. Brock Purdy, I know they love Brock Purdy. I know there are huge, huge question marks about whether Trey Lance is going to be the guy. Yep. And he's coming off that, you know, dislocated, broken and ankle. Who better to learn from for Brock Purdy than a guy like Aaron Rodgers? And in regards to that last comment, Brock Purdy learning from Aaron Rodgers, I mean, I don't really think you bring Aaron Rodgers in to, you know, mentor. Yeah. You bring him in to win, and that's it. Purdy, we don't know the full extent of the recovery process because they've given this very broad yet vague description of when he could return from his shoulder issue or elbow issue. And, Chad, you've got that plus Trey Lance coming off of injury. You have Sam Darnold, but, again, Sam Darnold is just a stopgap there. He's also coming off of injury. Um, and he's there for insurance if you need him, but you don't want to play him. And what's left out in all this is I do think that the whole animosity between Rodgers, which is a childhood team with the San Francisco 49ers, and he was open about wanting to play in San Francisco during the draft, and they passed him up. Well, he still holds that animosity. And I don't know if I'm dumb for believing in this, I don't think Rodgers would want to play for them. 
just like he will not ever be a Chicago Bear. And he's one of the few players that would be set in his stance on that and not look over the shoulder and be like, yeah, maybe I said that then, but not now. I think he still holds that. And it is the one team that he's already said it would not be the San Francisco 49ers. It was during that golf tournament where people were asking him, hey, who are they wanting you to play for? What names did you hear? What colors? Talked about hearing from Raiders fans. And he said, well, it, it's, not, it's definitely not going to be San Francisco. And just because of that, I, I still get the vibe that he's holding that grudge. Is Trey Lance a part of this hypothetical package? I guess it could be. To go back to Green Bay? But Craig, so but Craig I, Martin there, though. I, wouldn't I don't know one of them have to be Purdy or... Trey yeah. Lance, right? I mean, yeah. that's just too many quarterbacks. But uh, Carton's giving an opinion more than he is a report there, yeah. right? He's spitballing. But I love what he said, that the Jets would no longer cease to be an NFL franchise if that happened. And <laughs> well, they also, didn't get Aaron Rodgers. Also, too, like, why why wait? Why are they in now if, if you know they were going to want to trade for Aaron Rodgers? And the reason is the Packers don't want to trade him to an NFC team. So you wait until they don't have an option, and then any team can join in the fray. It's also interesting to me, the reports came out yesterday that one of the teams Hendon Hooker is on a visit with is the Green Bay Packers, who drafted 15th. So that just adds a little bit more intrigue in all of this of the quarterback movement that's going to take place. I think so. If you get the first rounder, you have 13 and 15. Yes. And that makes it more believable that they draft Hooker because you, you can invest in the quarterback and also invest in another position and you still have a quarterback you could trade for, potentially. We had John McClain on yesterday. He said he does not believe Trey Lance is going to get moved, that they still fully believe in him and believe he'll be better than Brock Purdy ultimately. But one of those guys has some value. Yeah. Not a ton, but they have some value. So Trey Lance, Brock Purdy, they're going to move at some point. If this hypothetical were to happen, I would think one of them would be on the move, one of the two. I agree. And um, where would that leave the Jets? Man. That would be crazy. Well, that's but when, let's let's that's go with what's Tannehill on the record also, right? This is all we can do with kind of Lamar Jackson. We know what he said in Instagram statements and what's out there with him. Going by what we know with Aaron Rodgers is he went into a darkness room for an isolation retreat, and he came out, and whatever voice he heard told him that he wants to play and he wants to be traded to the New York Jets and that the Green Bay Packers are aware of that, and that's what he ultimately wants to have happen and the only thing that we've heard report-wise about talks going on have been between the Packers and the Jets so far. And the yep. big sticking point and both sides have has been whether it. or not it's going to be a, include a first-round pick this year or not. And now the Packers and the Jets have both sort of come down from the, the notion that it will require a first-round pick this year. So that's where we are. I, I have no reason to believe it's still not going to happen with the Jets. Yeah, it will. But it's cra- when you start to unlock the Pandora's box of that trade not happening and the implications or and the, he just says, you the know ripples in the ocean or the, the still lake right now or pond of the NFL that could take place if that deal doesn't get done is crazy to imagine. Uh, the talks seem to be at a standstill that will pick back up around the draft. But, you know, in the meantime, you mentioned Rodgers in his darkness retreat. He's now uh, checking out a crystal shop, the crystal rocks. And he also apparently never responds to the Packers. That's another thing that Brian Gunka said. We can't get in touch with the guy. So we have no idea. We well, had to move on because he won't respond to our calls and texts. Yeah. But, I mean, he's, he hasn't responded before, and they ponied up and paid the guy. They're just tired of doing that. I think it's all just one big test with Aaron Rodgers. 
You know, it's more of a, I'm not going to respond to anything. Like a game of chicken? And see if you do the right thing. You know, I'm going to give you every bit of ammo to do the wrong thing, and the wrong thing in Aaron Rodgers' eyes would, would always be to disrespect him. And in moving on from Aaron Rodgers, you have disrespected me, even if I've disrespected you by not even bothering to get back with you, my current employer that's paying me a lot of money. Yeah. I'm still going to put the onus on you as this test to see if you do the right thing. And the moment well, they start moving on, then he comes and then he, he's but he's, he's going to make he's 16, disrespected by that. He's how, like, well, they, they moved on. Well, and that's where I he's come different. out of the darkness retreat, and I, they moved on. So I'm ready to move on now. Well, it's like he's giving himself the excuse and the motivation. He's supplying it for himself so he can have the chip on his shoulder moving forward. But I don't know how you can call it disrespect whenever they paid him fifty million, made him the highest paid quarterback last year, and then right now he's due a little over sixty this upcoming season. Like I don't, the the whole disrespect card for that for that price tag and doing exactly what you wanted the the organization to do for you, you can have a line of communication. And there was a report that they met right after the season, like for like a day and a half. And then you're right, Gutenkus is saying like, well, we were supposed to get back together after that and discuss the future, and we haven't done that. I'd love to see Aaron Rodgers and Angel Reese get together and air <laughs> their grievances, just one after the other, back and forth. All the grievances that they have, I think that would be an entertaining show that I'd tune in for. Um, he, so he's got, if, once he gets to New York, I can't wait for the, the photos and the, uh, everyone following around. Because right now they're doing that. In New York, they're circulating all the photos of whatever he's doing while we're at a standstill in this trade, where he's at Topanga Rocks Crystal Shop in L.A. most recently, and he was seen holding a small bag as he left the store. Chad, do you think he bought a crystal, a, a, a fine piece of jewelry, or something else? I think he probably bought some crystals. And when I hear <laughs> to, Topanga Rocks Crystal Shop, yeah. these are the people that like they believe crystals have a healing power. Yeah, it's like a Don't spiritual connection. Don't you put crystals connection. on you? Yeah, it's supposed to help with uh, relieve stress, anxiety. You know how I know about this? Meditation. Hutton, only you'll, you'll really respect this. Real Housewives of Orange County. Because one of the ladies on that show just worshipped crystals. Thought that it healed all of her problems. And she was trying to get other women on the show to go see wow. her Eastern healer that did crystal therapy. And would put crystals on her back if she had back pain and put them on different things. And I... I think maybe Aaron Rodgers is also a RHOC fan and probably watched the show and decided this is for me. I don't know. I maybe so, or maybe he's just still into his transcendental meditation. He's in his Buddhist phase right now. This is what we're saying. <laughs> what? The Buddha, the Buddhist wearing Tom Ford's is the line went in succession the other night. By the way, Chad, the the only way this trade blows up is if Aaron Rodgers wants it to. So if he wants to get it going. You can pick up the phone and keep it quiet and call the Packers, call the Jets, and say, let's do it. Pay them first-round pick. It'll be worth it. I'm, what coming, if, I w I'm going to play in 2024. He also hasn't said that. What if Aaron Rodgers, just as chaos agent Aaron, Ro Aaron Rodgers goes, picked up the phone and called the 49ers and said, I'm back in play. Or what if he retired? <laughs> I'm over it. I'm over what you did to me now, and I'm ready to play for you. Yeah, a month and a half ago, he said he went into the darkness retreat saying he was going to retire. 90% sure. And now? He's all in? Not going to happen. Happens every offseason. Hit us up on social. You can also uh, check out more stories on this at outkick.com. Coming up, we've got other headlines, including something that we definitely saw in the NCAA tournament that we don't see in the NBA. 
and it actually is on the court where the college game is better. That's next on Hot Mike. We've always said, Chad, that NBA, not much defense is being played. That's a no-brainer. But it's rare that you have the MVP favorite admit that it's just too tiring to play defense in the league. Luka Doncic said this. as He's answering questions about the Mavericks' woes because they make the trade for Kyrie Irving, and since then they've just been discombobulated. They've they were already middle of the pack in the playoff contenders whenever the trade was made. And since then, they're just you know, back and forth in the win column and mostly the loss column. And they're giving up a ton of points. And he said, I've, I've said this, offense is not our problem. It's all on defense. But then when it seems as though he's throwing players under the bus that he's not pointing to himself, he has the quote, I don't have energy to care about playing defense. And that guy is... The most valuable player in the league. I, I right read now. this quote and I thought this has to be a language barrier issue. Like the, his, there was like a translation, or he just said the words maybe a little bit differently. You know, you would have said it more properly if English was your first language. And then I, and I'm watching, I'm reading, I think no, he really he missed it. He's just, it's too tiring to play defense. He went deeper though. He says, he says sometimes it's really hard for me to play really hard on both ends. But obviously the defensive end, I got to be way better. Yeah. Now, that's an honest assessment, and I, I can understand where he's going with this. Here's the issue, though. The one knock on Luka Doncic is that he is not in the best physical shape, that he comes into seasons a little bit overweight, and his cardio is not great. And I've even watched Charles Barkley say, this guy's got to get serious about what he's doing in the offseason and how he takes care of himself because from a talent skill standpoint, he's terrific. There's no doubt about it. He had gotten in better shape this year, but when late in the season, when you're four and eleven alongside Kyrie Irving, and you're saying it's just too tiring to play defense, this is not a good look for the Dallas Mavericks. I'm sure that Mark Cuban is not really happy with the way this trade for Kyrie Irving has turned out so far. And now his star player is saying, you know, guys, defense really takes a lot out of you when you try to play that. Well, I, Back in the day, you had Michael Jordan that dedicated off-seasons to being a better defender simply because people would say he's not a great defender early in his career, and he became the NBA's Defensive Player of the Year multiple times because someone said he couldn't do it. Now you have Luka Doncic saying, guys, it's just kind of tiring to play defense. Well, but here's I don't the know problem if you knew with that. that. So I, I agree. It's a bad look. It's not a bad look for the Mavericks. It's a bad look for Luka Doncic, yeah. the, the individual who's you know in this debate about who's the MVP and who's not. And we're talking about one of the top players in the NBA, not just a role player here saying this, or, or an average player. But the problem with the league in, in you know, you're, you're giving up all these points and you can't stop anyone, they are 15th in the league in points allowed. Middle of the NBA. You would think that they would be close to last or dead last in the rankings. But they allow 113.8 points per game. Let's say 114 points per game. And that's middle of the pack in defensive effort and defensive mindset teams. Meanwhile, in college basketball, the defensive first team, the for the most part, 
made the big runs, and UConn was great at both. Defe- Offense yeah. and defense. And that's a team that typically wins it, cuts down the nets, are the ones that are really good at both. But in college basketball, the defense, defensive play is ahead of offense across the board with a lot of the better teams and better programs. NBA's opposite. And I, I don't watch a lot of NBA, but I suspect that it's not because offensive skill basketball is at an all-time high with all these points. I'm willing to bet it's because a lot of people feel and act like Luka Doncic and say, you know, it's just a lot more fun to play offense, and it's a lot of effort and takes a lot out of you to really dedicate yourself to defense and locking down on that end. So that's how we're going to play the game. And it's almost an all-star game mentality at times. Yeah, it's what it feels in like. In the NBA where I'm, You know my three-minute like rule. Yeah, you know. Three you, minutes left is when you can tune in if you, you want to. You know, when you get a little bit older and you keep playing basketball and you're playing in a men's league somewhere, you like look in the eye of the competitor at times and say, if you lay off me and give up a few threes, I'm going to do the same to you. Let's not try to run around the court in the half court the whole time. Non-verbal agreement. Let's sort of just go out there. And even if your team's (laughs) playing man-to-man, let's just give up a few threes. You, You know it when you see the player on the other side and how bad they're struggling to get up and down the court. That's the way the NBA, I feel like their players go into almost every game until they get into the playoffs. Well, and and then it's a different mindset. Isn't that the I mean that that is to me a reflection of the players running the league. And they've recently negotiated and extended the collective bargaining agreement between the PA and the and the association. Draymond Green tweeting out that he's not happy with certain aspects of this, including the uh the players lose again, he says. The middle and lower spectrum teams don't spin because they don't want to. And what what he's referring to here they're, they have enacted this rule where uh, a team, any franchise that spends over $17 million past the luxury tax can no longer go sign players who were not previously on the team to large contracts. They are only allowed to offer the minimum, the veteran minimum for said player. I like this setup because it's going to prevent, it won't totally prevent these super teams from forming, but it will prevent two or three players that could have been added to the Warriors roster that won't be able to because they're going to get a better offer elsewhere. Maybe not. Maybe the the league's going on the cheap and they don't get anywhere close to it. But the Warriors roster next season will have nearly $215 million of payroll. They've got like 190 this year. And there's a reason why all the vets go. It's part because you want to win. It's also mainly because you'll get paid. They're going to pay more than the other owners. Once you give someone power or you've taken power, it's very difficult to either take that power back or the person with the power to give it up. NBA players have the power. They run the league right now. They're not giving it up anytime soon. And this argument by Draymond Green is further proof that that is the case. And I do not blame Draymond Green for looking out for his own interests. I do not blame the NBA Players Association for negotiating in the best interest of themselves. But in doing so, they have hurt the NBA product. And this is my warning to the NFL. It's why I'm completely against guaranteed full money contracts for NFL players. Deshaun Watson got it. I hope Lamar Jackson doesn't. And it's not because I don't like Lamar Jackson or believe that his agent or anyone should not be arguing on behalf of their client to get it. I hate it because I don't want the NFL to become the NBA. Because the reason I am a bigger fan of the NFL right now, I like football more first and foremost, but it's because of 
the league and the owners have more of the power. It has created a better product in a lot of ways. But, but with the fully guaranteed deal, if the NFL had that, it wouldn't be the NBA because the NFL would still have a salary cap of $225 million that you have to stay under. It'd be competitive. And the NBA allows teams to spend more and then pay the luxury tax and continue to spend more. And this is just one small adjustment to that to spread more talent across the league. Draymond's not a fan of it. Coming up, the Masters, two big headlines, including live and the weather. 